Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. How is everyone this morning? It's good to see those of you who I've met before, and for those of you who I haven't met, it's such an honor to be here. And I just want to thank um, Jeff and Fawn and their family and Authentic Church so much for um, your friendship first and foremost, and then also for the support um, in prayer and the support for Israel and for the region. They have a heart for the nations. They have a heart for the gospel. And um, how many of you can acknowledge that to be in support of God's heart for Israel does not mean that we are against any other people group or any other nation, right? God's heart is big enough for all, and I want to share a little bit about that today. Um, I'm going to, my, my challenge, whenever I get a microphone in my hand, and you will, you understand this very well, is I'm a teacher by nature, and so I want to go deep into everything, and I cannot do that today because I will just overwhelm all of you, and so it's like a little salt, not the whole steak, a little salt, not the whole steak, and so um, if I just get a little too deep, I'm going to try and just bump through some of those things, but I have a heart um, this morning to just share some of how the Lord is at work in Israel today, why that's important for you as a believer, because it really is important for you, and I want to I want to briefly answer a couple of questions. Why did God choose Israel? Are they still chosen? And as believers, why should you care? So, and then I want to give a brief update of how we've been involved in Israel, um, both in working with believers there and with Arab Christians and even supporting um, Palestinian Christians in Gaza, which we cannot announce that publicly necessarily on our website, but, um, but because it's quite dangerous. But I want to just start by... Um, emphasizing a few things about who we are as a ministry. I want to go through some of those questions, and I want to give you a brief update, okay? So hopefully we'll, um, we'll get through some of that. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is the paradigm that we want to see all of life through. We want to filter everything that we are, everything that we do, all of our belief systems through your word. So Holy Spirit, would you breathe upon your word today? Would you speak how you want to today. I pray that you would guide the words that I say. Help me not to say too much. And we just invite you into this place here in the name of Yeshua. Amen. All right. So about 10 years ago, uh, gosh, it's almost exactly 10 years ago, the Lord sovereignly invited me into his heart for Israel. It was not a part of my paradigm growing up. I kind of grew up in a context where, um, you know, I I thought, well, you have a call to Pakistan, you have a call to India, you have a call to Peru, you have a call to to Israel, whatever. They're all the same. You know, God loves every nation the same. Well, does he? Yes. But they're still firstborn, they're still role, and they're still priority. When I was born in my family, I'm born second, I did not replace my sister as the firstborn. She's still the firstborn, she will always be the firstborn. I'm in the same family. I have a different role, but we're sisters. We love each other. She's always going to be the firstborn. I'm never going to catch up to her, and I'm okay with that. And so, so that's part of the perspective that, that we have to understand when it comes to God's heart for Israel. And I'm going to show you that in the scripture, that it doesn't mean that, it's, uh, that, that God loves Israel any more than any other nation. 
it, but it's because of the way that he demonstrated his love through Israel that all nations can come to know him now. And that is beautiful and that's a blessing. And so about 10 years ago, God sovereignly invited me into this picture. It was a surprise to me. It was totally not in my heart. And God just arrested me, really, and brought me into his heart for Israel. Little did I know I would end up living there, working there, serving there for 10 years now, back and forth. I just got back two weeks ago from Israel. I've been there for the last five months. And I'm going back next week to Cyprus and then maybe to Israel again and we'll, we'll see. It's all, you know, air miles and flights. <laughs> um, so I want to talk today about what's your lens. What is the lens that you're seeing things through? And I want to, I want to invite us, I want to encourage us to see Israel and the nations through the Father's eyes. Okay? So I currently work for a ministry called Firm, Fellowship of Israel-Related Ministries. Started about nine years ago, really with the purpose of trying to connect believers around the world to God's heart for Israel in a gospel-centered way. Not in a geopolitical sort of way, not in a controversial sort of way, but in a gospel-centric, biblically-based way that believers would have a heart for Israel. Um, our vision is we want to see a day when every person in Israel is transformed by the love of Yeshua, by the love of Jesus. That's why we exist. Um, our mission is that we connect believers to Israel in a gospel-centered way while helping to strengthen and resource the local body of believers in Israel. We work with about 76 local ministries in Israel, Jewish believers in Yeshua and Arab Christians as well. And so anyone who's on frontline ministries, um, congregations, humanitarian aid, discipleship, um, social, social justice things, we work with the community of believers. In Israel today, there's about 35 to 40,000 Messianic Jewish believers in Yeshua, in Jesus, and there's about five to 7,000 Arab Christian believers in Israel proper. In the Palestinian um, territories, it's much, much, much smaller than that. And so Israel is actually considered an unreached people group, um, statistically less than one quarter of a percent of the entire population of Israel believes in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So that's kind of a crazy statistic when we think that these are the people that the gospel came first to and came through. And it's because Israel was entrusted with the word of God and with the gospel that you're actually able to sit here today as a believer grafted in. For those of you who do believe, for those of you who don't, you're going to be invited into that. And so, uh, so we should be grateful for that. But we should also recognize that Israel statistically is still considered an unreached people group. So that's why we exist as an organization. Our primary um, vision is, is through the local body of believers to do whatever God puts in our hand to do in order to transform society so that they can come to know Yeshua as their Lord and Savior. Um, and and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna speak a little bit at the end about what we've been doing in the last five months because it's like everything changed since October 7th. Um, I don't know how many of you are super up to date on the news. I'm gonna try not to overwhelm you with too many details on that because I'll let each person kind of digest the amount that they want to when it comes to news. But I do want, I do think it's really important for us as believers to understand what's happening in the world around us from a biblical perspective. There are so many ways that we can, we can interpret things, we can view things, but if we don't see things through God's perspective, through a biblical lens, we're get, things are going to get really confusing to us in the days ahead, and we're not going to know where to stand. You know, I could easily come up here and start talking about all sorts of different social justice issues 
issues, political issues, human rights issues, national issues, wars, rumors of wars. I could start like talking on sides and I could very, very quickly divide this room. Right? I'm not going to do that, by the way. But I could. All I'd have to do is launch into one argument here, and then I'd see who's with me on that, and one argument here, and I'd see who's with me on that. And very easily, it's, it's, it's easy for us to divide our allegiances when we're not seeing things through a biblical point of view. And so it's absolutely essential for the days ahead. You're going to get super confused as a believer if you don't see things through the lens of this as your worldview. So this is what we need to perceive. Israel and the nations through this lens. So I want to go through some of that. And I'm just, um, buckle up because I've got a lot to cover and we're just going to go through it, okay? So much of the Bible revolves around the history and the story of how God worked in and through Israel. It is mentioned so many times in your scripture. Clearly throughout biblical history, Israel had a distinct role, a distinct calling and a purpose that was connected to God's heart for salvation. So The question then is, is their part of the story over? If not, what does that mean for us as believers today and why should we even care? As believers, our past and our future hope are linked to the God of Israel and the promises that he made to his people. Yet, Israel can actually be one of the most controversial and misunderstood topics for Christians today. And there's many reasons for that, and from ancient history to modern complexities. So we need to understand why is it important for us to know that Israel was chosen by God for a unique purpose. As Christians, we understand that the Bible reveals the message of salvation. Jesus is the center of the story. The entire Bible is intended to lead us to God, to the Father, and to connect us to his heart again. It's not always easy for us to see, though, how those things interrelate, how all the parts of Scripture connect, and how they connect to us today as believers. So what if I told you that one of the main keys to understanding the Bible is to understand Israel? It will make a lot more things make sense in history, in the Bible, and in the future if you understand Israel through God's perspective. Israel is clearly one of the most mentioned topics in the entirety of Scripture, about 2,500 times. The Scripture is set in a Jewish context, written by Jewish authors, mostly about Jewish people and their relationship with the God of Israel. There's the promise of a Jewish Messiah, an anointed one sent by God through whom we receive salvation. Jesus was born into a Jewish family in the land of Israel to a Jewish virgin through the line of David. Three wise men recognized him as the king of the Jews. Jesus said to the women at the well, salvation is from the Jews. The Bible essentially is a story about the gospel coming through the Jewish people through a Jewish savior, right? And it's easy for us to look at that in history, but it's much, much harder for us to look at that in the realities of today, right? I ask people, I've done a lot of research on this, and I ask pastors and I ask a lot of leaders, is ancient Israel connected to the modern reality of Israel we see today? And people are like, oh, oh, I I don't know how to answer that question. It gets complicated if we don't see things through God's lens of how he's working salvation out past, present, and future. It's all important, okay? So much of the church today actually has a very neutral or indifferent, maybe even a negative view on Israel and the Jewish people. I was one of those. 
I kind of thought like, hey, if you've got a call to Israel, whatever. I'm going to go to the Spanish-speaking nations. I can handle that. I like to salsa. I like Mexican food. But Israel, you know, I mean, blonde hair, blue-eyed meat. No, I do not fit in that context. And then God calls me there. And so, uh, you know, we all have lenses that we see life through. We, we are very quick to filter things through different perspectives. People or sources that, that we trust to give us relevant information. You know, they say that every, every family needs a good, what, mechanic, a, a good doctor, a good lawyer, and a good tax man. <laughs> so I, I've got a couple of those in my family. Well, let me give you an illustration here. All right, Fawn, stand up. Juju, stand up. All right, I'm going to give you, Anna, stand up. I'm going to give you a quick, quick illustration here. Jeff, stand up. All right, so Juju has a life-threatening heart condition. Not for real. This is an illustration. And she has to get an emergency surgery. All right? Now, Fawn, as the primary caretaker, has to decide who's going to give her that emergency heart surgery. Anna is a child genius who graduated Harvard at 14... She is the top of her class. She just graduated as an intern in specialty with heart surgeries, and she is rare and ready to go, but she's never done a surgery before in her life. Smartest in her class, though, okay? Child genius. All right, Sean, stand up. Sean is a tenured physician with many, many years of practice. He has so much experience. He knows exactly how to give this heart surgery. However, he was up all night the night before and he lost his glasses on the way to work, okay? (laughs) Jeff is the master physician who created and designed this surgery. Juju's also his daughter. He knows everything about the surgery. He knows it perfectly. He has perfect sight. He's never lost a patient. Who are you going to trust to do the surgery? The child prodigy? The surgeon with a lot of experience but no glasses and no sleep? Or the author of the surgery and who's also the father? It's not really a hard decision, is it? Right? We're going to choose the father. Why? Because his lens of how he's going to view his daughter as the author of the surgery, the one who knows it perfectly, and the one who knows his daughter... That's the lens that I, as a mother, would choose if, I, if my daughter had to have emergency heart surgery, right? No offense, guys. You're going to grow in your skill set. But <laughs> right? So you guys can sit down now. We all have lenses that we see life through. But I want my lens to be the father's lens. I, he, he's given us the paradigm, the perspective, the lens on how to interpret everything that we see around us. Now, the Bible might not have a whole lot to say about some of the specific political situations or the things that we see happening in the world today. However, there are principles about God's nature and about who he is that are always applicable. And this has to be the lens that we see the world through. It's the most important filter in our lives, and we need to be intimately familiar with his word, even more as the days go on. It's written by the author of life himself. I believe that the Bible is the, is the key to understanding God's heart for Israel, and it's the key to unlocking some of the, the nuances of the gospel as well. When we see Israel and the nations through the Father's eyes and we learn to love what he loves, God's salvation story and our place in that story, our place in the family becomes so much more clear. History, modern realities, and our future hope become so much more in focus. 
when we see things through that lens. My life has actually been transformed as I've leaned into God's purposes for Israel and for the nations. I always had a heart for nations. I always had a heart for the Lord, but I just really didn't have a clear understanding and a clear perspective on Israel. And God invited me into that. And you know what? It, it took some unraveling of some theology that I had in my life, some, some beliefs that I had that I didn't realize I had. They were kind of assumed because I'd never really tested them. How many of you have ever come up against something like that? You're like, well, I've never really tested out that belief. And I know a lot of people who go to college and they try and test out their beliefs. They end up unraveling their faith because they're not testing their belief and their faith in the context of an intimate relationship with the Lord. So, but I had to let God unravel some of the theology that I had assumed about Israel. And he did that as a master surgeon. He did that gently, but it wasn't easy. I had to actually go back to what the Bible says and say, you know, I'm not sure I've read the Bible that way. So Lord, will you help me to understand the scripture and understand the realities of what's happening in our world today through your lens and not through my own and not through my families and not through my own assumed views, but through what your word says. Despite Israel's really rocky history, when we read the Bible, we understand that God's plans for Israel are still intact. It's really hard to miss it if you actually just read your Bible. Just sit down and read Romans 9, 10, and 11 slowly, and then go back and read Jeremiah 31, and then go back and read Ezekiel 37 and 38. You won't miss it. If you really read the Bible slowly, you will see that God's plans and purposes for Israel are still intact. So what are those plans. God revealed himself as a father. You know, it's one of the things that I love about God, that, that he revealed himself to humanity as a father. He sovereignly chose to orchestrate his plan of salvation through one man, through Abraham and his family, Israel. Why did he choose to do this? I don't know. He's God. But he worked through humanity in order to work out his plans of salvation. And he chose to do that through a specific family. And I'm grateful that he did. From the beginning, God's heart and his intention was to have a close relationship with his creation, with people. He wanted a family. As a father, he wanted us as his children. But sin separated humanity from God. God, however, promised restoration right from the very beginning when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Genesis 3.15, we see the very first seed of hope of a promise of restoration, that there would be a seed of the woman that would come forth that would crush the head of the enemy. So this is, this is what we know, as it's, it's called the Proto-Evangelion. It's like the first seed of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. How would he choose to do that? There's this promise of restoration. He could have chosen any way to do it, but he chose to work through a family, through Israel as his firstborn for the purpose of taking the message of hope and the message of Messiah to the ends of the world. Yet he always had an international family of faith in his heart. God promised Abraham and Sarah an heir. They were barren. They didn't have children. This would take a miracle. God promised Abraham that his family would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. We read this in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and again in Genesis 15. God promises the impossible. He says that your family, your children, your, your, your descendants will be a blessing to all the earth. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that God chose Israel as his treasured possession 
Not because they were greater or more superior in number. Actually, the Bible says that they were the fewest, the least, the weakest. Yet God decided to set his love on them and to accomplish his purposes of salvation in the world. We read that in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He says, Israel is my firstborn, my treasured possession. Now, in Hebrew, this word treasured possession is actually the word that would refer to a king's private inheritance, his treasure that he would store up for himself and care for. That's the word in Hebrew, segula, is the word that, that God speaks of Israel. Now, that's caused some challenge for a lot of people over the years. How many of you are familiar with that term that Israel are the chosen people? Yeah, I, how many of you have ever watched Fiddler on the Roof? This is an old movie. I won't use the illustration. It's like, why couldn't you choose somebody else? Um, but it can, it can feel like if I have a soccer team and I choose Juju but not Fawn, Fawn might get offended at that, right? So we in our Western mentality kind of think because you choose one, it means that you're not choosing another, that, that, that there's like a devaluation of the other. And that's not the way that God works when he talks about chosenness. So God worked through a family. He, he worked through a visible witness on earth so that we can look at that and say, this is how God has worked through people. Family is like super messy, right? Any, any, any don't have a witness. Family is beautiful. Family is, is amazing. It's iron sharpening iron, but family can be really, really messy. And Israel's family is not exempt from this. If you read the Bible, their family is messy. But I can relate to that because sometimes my family is too, and I'm part of the family of humanity. And if we, it doesn't take long to look around. I was, I was flying the other day, which is kind of like my life, I can say that. Um, and I thought, if anyone ever needed evidence of sin in the world, all they have to do is look at TSA. The fact that we have to do all we have to do, you take your shoes off, and, like ridiculous. It is evidence that there is sin in this world, right? All right, family is messy, humanity is messy. However, Israel's failures didn't derail God's plan or his choice for them. Because Israel isn't the source of our salvation. Jesus is. Israel is simply the vessel through whom God chose to work. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of God belongs to God and not to us. The treasure is the revelation of God revealed in us. This is what happened with Israel. They were a clay vessel, a broken vessel that God used in order to demonstrate his light shining out of darkness. So it's true of Israel, it's true of us today. How many of you have some broken areas in your life? Anyone? Oh, come on. Am I speaking to humanity? Yes. I have some seriously broken areas of my, in my life. And, but despite our frailties and our weakness, God still chooses to use us, right? Light will shine out of darkness. So if chosen doesn't mean special and preferred, what does it mean? Like, why was Israel chosen? What was the purpose that they were chosen for? They were not chosen out of preference because they were better than, but they were chosen for a distinct and a divine purpose that has everything to do with your salvation and mine. So being called into the service of a king, it's, you know, it's like, hey, I got front row tickets. You know, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on the in crowd. But... 
in God's kingdom, it's a little upside down. The closer you are to God, the more you realize your need for him. The, the more you're entrusted with, the more humility is required, right? Jesus even said that to be the servant of all, to be great in God's kingdom is to be the servant of all. So Israel, yes, was chosen by God, but they were chosen to be a servant nation. This isn't just a negative. Yes, it's a special place. It's a special reality. And yet, God calls Israel his servant. Let's look at some of the divine purpose in, in Israel's calling. God chose Israel to set his love on them. Deuteronomy 7 says this. He loved them. He loves you. He loved it because he loved Israel, and if he loved them enough to set them apart and send the Messiah through them, it's evidence that he also loves you. Israel was chosen to serve God's salvation purposes in the nations. How? By being an example, a witness of God's plan to restore humanity to himself. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God said that the nations would know that he is God, that they would learn his ways and his character by the way that he deals with Israel. That connects to us today. We understand God's faithfulness to his promises by witnessing God's faithfulness to Abraham's family over the generations. God promised that Abraham and his descendants would be a blessing to all people, that a seed, a Messiah, would come from his family line. We see this in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. God blessed Israel, and he did keep his promises. They are a testimony of his faithfulness. How does that apply to us? Their story reminds us that we can have confidence that God will keep all of his promises. That gives me hope. God's redemption story is not finished, and so his plans for Israel aren't finished either. Israel was chosen to be a holy nation, set apart from sin, from the darkness of a world that was far from God. They were to be a kingdom of priests, drawing the other nations to God. This reminds us that God desires a family that looks different from the world. Israel was chosen to carry the revelation of God to the world, to be a light to the nations. We see this in Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49. Think of it. God gave Israel the prophets, the prophecies, the scriptures, the revelation of how to worship God. Because of Israel, we are blessed to have a Bible today. We're blessed to see God as holy. We can perceive him as a father, a merciful, loving God. We have a deeper understanding of how to approach God in prayer and in worship. There's so much history and heritage in this family. There's so much that we can learn about Father God by the way that he interacted with Israel and what that says about his love for the nations. Ultimately, God chose Israel to bring forth the Savior, the hope of salvation, Jesus, the Messiah. Because of this, I can know that I am loved by God. I'm grafted into his family by grace through faith. So if you remember nothing else, remember that Israel's story reveals that you are precious to God. Essentially, if we could sum up Israel's purpose, it was to carry the revelation of God and the hope of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, question, did Israel fail or succeed in that mission? Yes and no. That's a very Jewish answer for you. <laughs> 
most people will readily say, yes, Israel was chosen for the purpose of bringing forth the Messiah. They preserved the scriptures. They showed us the worship, the glory, the adoption, the patriarchy, the, 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 the Messiah. But they rejected Jesus. So didn't God choose the church now? Yes, but not to the exclusion of his promises to Israel. So most of Israel rejected their Messiah, but not all. Paul talks very clearly about a remnant that is saved by faith. Question for you, is Israel, is God still using Israel in a unique way to reveal himself to the world today? Is the calling given to ancient Israel valid for the Jewish people today? There are many in the church that would say no. There are some Christians who say, yes, absolutely, that call still remains. There are some that would say, no, Israel's sin disqualified her, and now the church is God's plan. There are others that say, well, Israel did fulfill her calling. She brought forth the, the Messiah and the scriptures in there. It's done. There's a lot of others that are just, well, I don't really know. I don't know what to do with that, so I'm not even going to touch it. That was kind of my perspective for a long time, by the way. Somebody else can deal with that messy area of the world called the Middle East. I'm going to stick to the Spanish-speaking world. Not that that's not messy, but I think the Middle East is a little bit messier. I don't know. <laughs> but maybe you identify with one of those perspectives, or you're kind of like waffling between them. Is the calling that God gave to ancient Israel still valid for the Jewish people today? I think that that's a really important question to ask, especially when we see the reality of war and the reality of things that are happening in the world today. If we don't have a biblical perspective on this, it is going to be so easy for us to be divided between camps of allegiance based on whatever lens we're looking through and whoever we see as the common source who's going to give us the most relevant information. So we need to have the answer to that question. Is Israel still chosen by God for a specific purpose? I think the most important question that we could ask in that is, what does God have to say about this? If we can answer that question, then it needs to direct how we view Israel in history and today and what that means for how we view Israel in the future. The Bible has a lot to say about this. I'm not going to be able to go into all of the details on that because this is really just an invitation for you to enter into a dialogue with God about this. It was a dialogue that I didn't want to have with God. I wanted to leave it to somebody else. I really did. I, I wanted somebody else to deal with this messy area of the world. And I don't know why God chose me to, to, to enter into this. I don't, I don't. But it's not just a, a conversation that is reserved for people who work and live in Israel. This is actually a conversation that for you as a believer or as somebody who's on the journey to understanding this God that we serve, it's actually really important for you to know. The Bible speaks a lot about a word called covenant. God does everything based on covenant. He established his relationship with Israel through Abraham in an eternal covenant that he alone will uphold. Now, there's all sorts of different types of covenants that we see in the scripture 
There was conditional ones, like if you do this, then I'll do this. There's unconditional covenants, like no matter what you do, I'm still going to uphold my end of the bargain. There's covenants that are temporary. There's covenants that are permanent. In the West, we don't really have the greatest perspective on covenants today because it's so foreign to our understanding. We're, okay, how many of you have ever signed a contract that you really wanted to get out of? And, 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 and it was really hard for you. I have, for sure. But how many of you have signed a contract so that somebody else will uphold their end of the deal and you have a legal measure to say you're going to uphold your end of the deal? Why do you have to sign so many papers when you buy a car or when you buy a house? Because generally people don't uphold their end of the deal. They find loopholes. They find ways to get through and not to pay it and, 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 to, and to opt out of all of this stuff. We don't like to, uh, our word isn't necessarily our bond. Do you think in, in our modern day, I could buy Jeff's home with a handshake? Gonna pay you the money. No, that would never work today because we're so used to people breaking their word that we don't understand the concept of covenant. But it wasn't like that in the Bible times, and it's not like that when it comes to God. God is who he says he is. He has never broken his word. That's really hard for me to understand. Even when I don't understand his timing, he has never broken a promise, ever, because part of his nature is he's faithful. And he can't deny himself. He can't be untrue to his faithfulness. So when God says something, that settles it. Now, the timing and the application of what that looks like is really up to him. But if he makes a promise, you better believe he is going to follow through on it. Now, something that's really important for us to understand when it comes to Israel. Israel's identity can go back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. How many of you have read this? Genesis chapter 12. Let's just read a couple of scriptures here. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And in Genesis 12, 7, he says, to your descendants, I will give this land. These are unilateral promises that God makes. I didn't make this up. This is in the Bible. Now, when God makes this covenant with Abraham, I won't go into all the details about this idea of cutting a covenant, but it involved blood. And when, when a covenant was cut, your life was attached to that covenant. In the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham did nothing. He was asleep. He was in a dream. God did everything. God was the one who made the covenant promises. And he said, I'm going to uphold those promises to all of your generations forever. Did any of you see the, the sandlot? Forever. <laughs> so the Abrahamic covenant is part of what established the nation of Israel because God said that his blessing would come through Abraham Isaac, the son of promise, Jacob, who becomes Israel, and the 12 tribes of Israel. So the promises that God made, some of the promises, he made a lot, but the, the main three points of those promises are descendants, that there would be seed, a family, a great name. He would be a father of multitudes, a father of nations. God promised him a specific swath of land. This is the only covenant in the Bible, by the way, that is connected to land. 
And God said it was permanent. I didn't make that up. He said it. Take it up with him. He promised blessing. He promised that Abraham's family would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Now, if we look through Romans and Galatians and and Hebrews, we see that that blessing to all the nations of the earth comes through Messiah. But Messiah had to come through a family line because he had to be the son of a woman, right? He had to be the seed of a woman. You go through all of the prophetic scriptures, and it was very clear that God was going to come as a man. God, man, perfectly God, perfectly man, but he had to come to the only family that was actually expecting him. That's the family of Israel. No other nation, no other religion, no other people were expecting a Messiah to come. But God preserved the people of Israel for his purposes so that the gospel could go to the ends of the earth. Now, this is really important. In The book of Romans, Paul says that Abraham is the father of all who believe. How many of you believe? How many of you are on the journey to believing? I believe. I mean, I believe. Abraham's family is God's family. Don't you want to love what God loves? If you found out that you had a brother that you didn't know about, wouldn't you want to know more about that brother and about that family? I feel like since God has helped me to understand more of his heart for Israel, I feel like I've understood more about family more about community, more about covenant, more about the way that he has worked in history than I ever have understood before. It's like I had no idea this whole dynamic of family was so important to God. And, I, and, and it's an invitation for us to learn that. Now, in the Bible, it's really clear that there's only one people of God. We're not talking about two different covenants between the Jewish people and the church. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's one people of God in both Testaments. Jews and Gentiles who place their faith in Messiah are all a part of Abraham's family of faith. However, remember the illustration. I did not become the firstborn once I was born into my family. I'm still the secondborn. My sister is the first born will always have a specific role in a place. And I'm not going to usurp that. So when we're grafted in to Israel's family by faith, it doesn't make us Jewish. It doesn't mean that we have to become Jewish and follow all of these customs and laws. It doesn't mean that we replace God's promises to Israel. Many of those promises which have a very specific fulfillment in a context, but it does mean that we're grafted into the family of faith. And then we get to share in that role of being a light to the nations and inviting other people to come back to know the Father who wants restoration for all mankind, for all people. The whole Bible is for all believers, but we have to look at the promises that God gave in their rightful context in order to properly interpret them. So that everlasting, eternal covenant with Israel should be something that we want to find out more about. And I want to invite you in your Bible to understand that God is not done with Israel. There are so many prophecies, there are so many promises that are yet to be fulfilled. I mean, I could name so many different scripture verses from where is Ezekiel 37, 38, where he talks about the valley of dry bones. This is the whole house of Israel. Jeremiah 31, where he talks about the new covenant. And he says, this covenant that I have with Israel will not ever be replaced until the sun, moon, and stars stop shining. There are so many things in Zechariah, where he says that every eye will see him. Where in Zechariah 14, where it says that the 
that Yeshua, his feet will sit on the Mount of Olives again. There are promises and there are prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled, and that pertains to our future hoping God. So it's really important for us. To, I know you, I get kind of worked up about this, but it's, it's an invitation for us to understand more of how God wants to work in humanity, salvation, past, present, and future, okay? So... I'm going to skip some of this because I really want to get into a little bit of an update on what we've, um, what we've been doing in Israel. So I'm going to just encourage you, your homework for this week, all right? I am a teacher by nature, so your homework for this week, carve out a 30-minute period of time. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11 slowly and ask the Lord, would you give me your heart for your people? Help me to understand your heart for Israel and your heart for the nations. To love Israel does not mean that we hate the Palestinians. I love the Palestinians. I want them to come to know the Lord. I really do. My heart grieves over what's happening there. My my heart is broken over the humanitarian scenario that's happening in Gaza. Over the destruction of lives. My heart is grieving for the children. It should break our heart when we see what happens in war. War is so ugly. We haven't had to fight it on our shores for a really long time, so we forget about that. We forget the human cost of war. But I'm going to tell you that the war that's happening in the Middle East is not just a war about land. It's not just a war about the Israel and the Palestinians. It is a battle for whose name is going to be worshipped on that holy mountain. And it's a battle for, for, for a people of faith to say, Baruch Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is connected to our faith. And we need to understand this through his heart, through his perspective. We will not be able to pray otherwise. With, with, with right understanding, we will not be able to engage with the reality of what's happening in the world today unless we see things through a biblical point of view. What does this mean for us today? I don't want to be ignorant. I don't want to be an ostrich with my head in the sand in regards to how God is at work in the world today. It is connected to our shared future. If we only view Israel, the Palestinians, the complexities of the Middle East through natural eyes, through a geopolitical or a humanitarian crisis, or the deep conflict over land rights and water rights and who's providing electricity and who who committed war crimes and who's actually committing genocide, if we get sucked into that argument, we're really quickly going to get off base. And believe me, I can go toe-to-toe with the best of them. I mean, I could, I could sit here and, and tell you all of, the, all of the injustices that Israel has done wrong and why this is evil and this is wrong. And, they, and I, could, I, could, I could stand on the other side and give you all of the injustices of what Hamas has done and how horrible the, the, the ideology is. And, and I could really easily get sucked into that. And it's hard for me not to because I kind of live in that zone. But at the end of the day, I have to come back to that place of God. I trust that your covenant purposes for Israel are that you will rescue your people and that your covenant purposes that you showed through Israel is that you have a heart for all nations, that they would come to know you, that you consigned all to disobedience, that you might have mercy on all, that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
I cannot let the BBC or CNN or TikTok or Instagram or even the people that I trust on the front lines who are fighting right now in a tank in Gaza, I cannot let them be the voice that, that, that eclipses what the Bible says. Even if I have the frontline information, I have to have God's perspective on what's happening in the world today. And this is related to where we're going as believers. And so I just want to invite you into that dialogue. If it's maybe something that you've never considered, it's maybe something that you don't really care so much about, again, your homework, read Romans 9, 10, and 11, 30 minutes slowly, and ask God for his heart. couple of the things that we've been involved in in response. Our team, we just had to throw out all of our plans and say, Lord, how would you position us to respond to the needs right now? There's so many needs. There's so many needs. Immediately, we began to help out with different projects that were housing displaced people, children, families, seven different locations throughout Israel. God allowed us to house people in hotels throughout Israel. We started working on providing emergency food and water supplies, 60,000 packaged meals to displaced families, to Holocaust survivors and bomb shelters, 40,000 hot kosher meals to soldiers and families, 16,000 plus grocery boxes for families for a week, 10 distribution hubs. God just, through the partners that we work through, this isn't just firm, this is through the 76 ministries that we work through. It just became a network of, of distribution capacity to meet needs. And you know what? Some of the people on the front lines helping out providing these needs were Arab Christians. It was beautiful to see. We helped procure different essential supplies for first responders. We delivered 1,700 protective helmets and 2,200 military-grade bulletproof vests and security equipment for different communities, vitamins, socks, gloves, backpacks, tactical gear, safety gear. We basically just said, Lord, whatever we can do to help alleviate the need of people in this time we want to do. In the longer-term response, some of what we've been involved in is, is bringing people to Israel to serve in agricultural needs and in community restoration and bringing um, community different projects that have opened up to us. I mean, we've had so many open doors through this, some of which are down in the Gaza community, um, building school, safe schools for children that don't have schools to go to. And so through local communities, we've just been able to, to stand in the gap and help out. And, and just this morning, actually, I got an, an email about some opportunities to help um, pa Palestinian Christians through a couple of our networks in East Jerusalem. And so it's just amazing to see the opportunities that God is opening up for us to help but I can't do it on my own strength. There is not enough capacity in me to carry the compassion and the, the weight of the need. And listen, there's need all over the world. There's needs in, in Ukraine. There's needs in Somalia. There's needs. There's so many needs. This is one of those things that I think is part of the paradigm perspective that as a believer, it, it should be important to us. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go there or be involved in it all, but it should be a part of our prayers. And so I just want to close by praying. And um, I, I mean, I, I could probably sit here and talk for another hour and a half, but I'm not going to bore you guys. I've already given you your homework for the week. So I expect a full report next week. <laughs> Romans 9, 10, and 11. Lord, I thank you for how you have shown 
your love and your faithfulness throughout history to a family so that my family could come to know you. What an incredible blessing. Thank you, God, that I can be grafted into this family by faith, by grace, not by works, but simply because of your love. Lord, would you touch our hearts with what touches your heart? I pray that you would begin to open our eyes and our ears to see and read the scripture through the lens of the Father. You have the best intention. You have the right motive. You have all of the information. You know the way to reach people's hearts. Lord, there's so much need in the world right now. There's so much need in Israel. There's so much need in Gaza. There's so much need in southern Lebanon and and just these places that are war-torn. But you told your disciples to not let your hearts be troubled. You promised that wars and rumors of wars would come, that nation would rise up against nation. But the end was not yet. But you also promised that this gospel of the kingdom will be spread to all nations of the world and then the end will come. And I believe, and I believe your scripture shows that this involves Israel. And so not because Israel is perfect, not because the Jewish people are perfect, but because you are perfect and because you are faithful to your word and because you desire that none should perish but all should come to repentance. Lord, I just ask that you would open our hearts to align with what you love, to see what you see, to love what you love. Lord, I want to love... I want to love the Palestinians more. I want to love the Arab people more, Lord. I want, to lo- I want to love Muslim people more. I want to love Buddhist people more. I want to love people in my community more. I want to love people in my neighborhood. I want to love the, the rude, woke people that argue with me more. Lord, I want, to, I want to love what you love. I want to love people because you love people. I want to love family because you love family. Lord, would you break our heart for the things that break your heart, and would you invite us into a dialogue with you on how you're at work in the world today? Would you open your scripture to us to see what you see, to to declare what you're saying in these days? Lord, I don't want to be fighting in the wrong camps. I I want to be on your side. Lord, would you align our hearts and our lens that we see through so that we can track with you in these days and we can agree with what you're doing because you are a father that has the best intention for all of your children, the firstborn and all of the nations that you want to restore to your heart. Lord, would you bring an end to this war quickly, we pray. Save lives. Rescue the hostages. Preserve children. Open eyes, God. Would you have mercy? I'm asking that you would have mercy, God. Lord, for those who are willing to turn and repent, I pray that you would rescue them. And for those who, like Pharaoh, are unwilling to repent, I pray that you would remove the sting of their power. Put an end to this war quickly and open people's hearts and eyes to see and to know you. I pray in the name of Yeshua. Amen. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.